0: And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. I'm Bruce Taisley. It's a podcast about making work better. Thank you for listening. First thing I always tell people is if you are interested in work, the changing face of work, how we can make work better, improving your team culture, then the first thing I recommend is you go to the website eatsleepworkrepeat.com and sign up for the newsletter. That's just a weekly selection of some of the best things, best articles, best inspiration. Today's episode is going to be about mental health and it's going to be a first person account of a mental health episode that left someone in a bad place and he's going to describe his journey through that bad place into to the better place he's at now. It's a powerful listen today, a good friend of mine mentioned in passing that he'd caught up with someone, Chris Haywood, that we both knew from business. Me when I used to work at YouTube and Twitter, My friend said that Chris had opened up to him about a breakdown episode that he'd experienced a couple of years ago. We use words like breakdown, what do they really mean? Effectively, he hadn't been feeling good and it had left him in a bad place mentally. And in that place, he'd contemplated even more extreme action. Actually, I think what you're going to hear is a timely discussion. Chris wasn't alone in feeling like this. In a recent piece of research, Deloitte surveyed a thousand British employees. And 55% of them said they felt just as productive working from home as remotely. But 38% said that lockdown had had a very negative impact on their well-being. And today's episode is going to be an in-depth discussion of that well-being, mental or otherwise. Let me explain who Chris was. When it comes to the ads that you see on TV and video websites, you may or may know that there's a whole industry involved in buying those placements. And that work is done by media agencies whose job it is to use the swagger that their big budgets afford them, to get them the cheapest ad spots for their customers, who are the brands. It's a marketplace characterised by big personalities, by bravado, performance and ego. But in the midst of all of that, Chris Haywood was one of the most important players recognised along the way by the industry trade press as the recognition of being the most impactful person in that space. But he was a real contrast to that archetype of the bombastic television buyer, something of a scouse intellectual. Hayward, he's intelligent, erudite, thoughtful and renowned for his passions, really. Passions for music, passions for football. So before my friend mentioned, I'd heard that Chris hadn't been well last year, but I hadn't really known the full details. And I didn't know him well enough to feel like I could just spontaneously contact him. You know, these things are sensitive. We don't know what the right things to say are. So when my friend, Judgy said that Chris had had a load moment, but was really keen to discuss it, to share with other people who might find themselves in the same situation, I arranged to go down and have a conversation with him. So I went down before the lockdown to chat to today's guest, Chris Haywood. He lives near Woking. I just want to give you a trigger warning. If you are likely to be upset by discussions of depression and suicide, then please be warned that they they play a significant part of this dialogue. I want to flag that I'm not a trained journalist. I do know that themes of these issues need to be handled carefully. And before meeting Chris, I read guidelines on how to cover these things, how to refer to them. Most importantly, if you are distressed by these themes, or if you Feel that maybe they touch a nerve with how you're feeling. I've put details with a few organisations who can help in the show notes. Chris's point is that more than anything, you should reach out to to talk to other people. The thing you're going to find is, firstly, how Chris found himself in this situation out of nowhere. A person who loved so much of his life and was filled with passions. His life took a dark turn for the worse by really an unexpected accident that left him in hospital out of nowhere, things spiralled out of control. But you're also going to hear how he tried different approaches of coping, discovering which was the best way for him to adapt. And you're going to hear, if you are finding yourself in these difficulties, you're going to hear a real vivid description of how he uses cognitive behavioural therapy to put himself in a better place. As I say, please do tap into all those resources if you feel that this is relevant to you. This is a personal, intimate discussion with someone who's been brave enough to share. Before we go into this, I do want to say, if you do get any benefit from this, please do share it with a friend. The reason why Chris reached out to me is that having gone through such a potent journey himself, he wanted to spread the word and reach as many people as possible to tell them that their situation isn't desperate. So please do share it if you found a benefit. This is my discussion with Chris Hayward. Should we jump in? So I, I, it's probably worth you doing a bit of, explain who you are and what you do really. So, How have I got here? Exactly that, yeah, yeah. exactly
1: that. All right, so Chris Hayward, I think for more years than I care to remember, I was worked for Zenith and I went from being head of uh, TV to head of all media. Absolutely loved and uh, adored that job.
0: What year did you start there?
1: I started in the year 2000. Uh, loved and adored that job. And then, you know, everything I thought was going really well from a professional point of view and from, you know, family point of view, kids doing well. but I was happy. And then I had the freakest of uh, freakest accidents. I went to see a gig in North London in the chapel uh, Union Chapel, uh, and despite what people might have said later, I was not drunk because you basically can't drink the in, the, in, in, can. the, in that venue. And I was crossing the road; it's not an area I knew well. And then there was a massive dip in the road on the bus lane. It was late; I was walking across the road at full Bells and I went down the dip, and I crashed onto my knees. And when I came to standing up, I couldn't stand up. As it later transpired, I'd lost the patella tendon in each, in each knee. The chances of that happening to the same person at the same time, literally, as you know, the surgeon and people said afterwards, about one in a billion.
0: When you say lost, what, crushed?
1: A patella tendon is basically that part which connects your yeah. lower leg yeah. bone to your quadriceps. And so if you rupture them, as I did, I'd say that basically because on impact, they both exploded, it then means that you've got no leverage mechanism at all between your lower leg and your upper leg. So your legs are flapping. So, you know, and I'm standing up, but all the standing movement, all those type of movements, you know, you're doing lodgings and stuff like that, they're entirely dependent on the existence of a patella tendon in each knee. And to lose that, obviously, not ideal. Anyway, I didn't really re- realise the gravity of it. To me, it was like a broken ankle or something like that. Okay, you just have to suck it and see. But what I really anticipated was the surgery requires then, the, basically, as far as I can make, out, put in a false elastic band wrapped around my knee, attached to the lower leg, bone and to the quadriceps at the top of the knee but in order that that takes place you basically have to lie on your back with your legs dead straight in braces for six weeks which I can't tell anyone was not ideal and then because they're frightened that you're going to burst, burst the operation and then I lived down here for basically four months. I'm in my front room, by the way. And then I had to learn to walk again. During that stage, I did one set of negotiations, the tele-negotiations, and I was thinking, oh, that this will be all right. But then, when, you know, obviously learning to walk again. And then I went back to work. And the, the truth is, you know, I went back to work too early and ultimately
0: how were you feeling at that stage were you physically exhausted mentally exhausted?
1: well not not mentally or i might have had the first signs of some mental thing but what i was i was completely exhausted as in the true sense of the word yeah. knackered yeah. and you know uh, zenith were very good they laid on a car and all that type of stuff to facilitate my uh, return to work but the truth is and I should not have gone back to work at all, have attempted. You know, I think one of the things, you know, I can only talk from my experience, you know, the physical injury, that's, but you read stuff now about footballers and stuff because it, you know, their livelihood depends on it. But there is a mental thing that goes with it, you know, won't you buy yourself? To the degree to which you will recover depends on your willingness to do the routine of these rehab exercises, which are day in, day out. But all that, and basically, you know, having to learn to walk again from the start really comes at a price in terms of the physical expenditure of energy. You are exhausted. Now, What I realised with hindsight, I didn't realise how tired I was. I think a Chris Hayward in a stronger mental state would have said, I can't do this. I am actually volunteering to take off three months or whatever that case would be. But it's like, you know, and at the start of that whole issue with the mental health issue, is that you withdraw into yourself? And I have to say, at this stage, I'm very clear my family would give me great support. We talked about what happened to me since the blame. I don't attach any blame to them or to anybody external. It's because I was just tired. I just felt I was bitten down. You know, I didn't realise that what was also happening was. I was beating myself up on a regular basis, like you know, the fact that you know I was going into work and c- coming home completely drained. That was due to my deficiency, not because the thing was too hard. You know, Bruce, that you know, what, what I what do you mean by that? Your deficiency, meaning my inadequacy, right? You know, it's kind of you know, I was going to say, you know, uh, up to that point I ran regularly. Yeah, yeah. I was really, right. I was really into me running. I was very into feeling pretty fit. Yeah. To feel like that was a very strange sensation right. for me. And I didn't put it down to, well, if you've been on your back for, well, I was basically on my back for the best part of four months and still ready, and then you start getting up and then you try and got away. It's no wonder you feel a bit tired, yeah, yeah. but you know, that kind of rationality is the rationality that my experience through CBT would bring now. But it wasn't, you know, I didn't have that experience at the time. And then kind of just going into work every day, spending time with myself, you're inadequate, you're feeble. And then, well, actually, you're pretty useless. You know, I was finding the job quite tough because you would, wouldn't you? You know, going back to that. You're doing this not because uh, it's normal to go back to jobs because actually, hey, you've always bluffed it. You've, uh, you've never really been any good. And then, you know, that period... And you always had those sort of self-doubts or was it just particularly then? Um, looking back on it, Bruce, I think there was science, but not in any way, shape or form, very obvious. For example... At school, believe it or not, I was a bit of a swot and all that type of stuff. Before the science exams, I'd be sick. And, you know, when it came to finals, I remember I'd managed to get myself into a right old state about my Spanish oral, and when I came to my Spanish oral... I opened my mouth and nothing came out, which is not ideal for an oral exam. So, you know, there were indications earlier on, but, you know, nothing manifests like that to that extent. So, you know, one of the things I want to say to people within this is to describe very clearly, as accurately as I can, the feelings that I felt at that specific time. I know, and, and to say that, Hindsight is a wonderful thing and I do believe in, you know, seeking help and all that it's helped me enormously. But at the time, you know, in my case, I just felt I was very, very tired. But then, you know, that kind of lack of self esteem, the withdrawal because you're saying, Oh, I'm useless, I better not tell anybody about this. I can't do this project at work and all that. And eventually it came to a head over a couple of days where you know, I was about to uh, go into work, and I thought, I can't do this. You know, I spent then the next couple of days contemplating and seeking a place where, you know, I would end my life. And then within that, I uh, fled to Liverpool and disappeared.
0: So, so in those two days where you're contemplating ending things... Were you coming back here, were you here, were you at home? Or no, I you... fled.
1: Did you? Know? you? Okay. Yeah, you know, I... I uh, because, you know, I sort of, uh, It's important to to say that, you know, the reason in my case was not that I wanted to hurt myself or anything. I was just fed feeling that I was useless and right. crap. And the way I wanted to do it was to have, um, you know... Go to sleep forever, really. Like, I mean, that was the, that that was going on in me head. But you know, that went on, and I I was eventually found in Liverpool, and then uh, obviously because I'd mentioned the uh, you know I'd, I'd had uh, thoughts about finishing my life, then they wanted to. Uh, I, I sort of like they took me to uh, be... Uh, I have a psychiatric examination and uh, I had a wonderful friend who helped drove up my wife up to collect me and I spent time with the kind of nurse who was there and I said, it's, this is not family related. If you separate me from your family, this will actually really make matters a lot hmm. worse So thankfully I didn't have to stay in the hospital because uh, my wife and friend vouched for me, Jim Kavanagh, if uh, people know his name. He was wonderful. I came back and then I had a wonderfully sympathetic uh, locum doctor who just, uh, I got taken to the the surgery, uh, the GP surgery, I couldn't speak there because I was so exhausted. And he got, in touch with the Priory there and then, and then the following within a few days, my uh, rehab or my treatment started at the Priory. But again, the Priory wanted to commit me, and yes, no, 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 no. That my wife and family are a happy part of my life, mm. they're so fundamentally not part of the problem that if you remove me from them that's not going to help my Mm. mental state at all but you know i think it's very important and one of the reasons i want to do this is because having spoken to people and i remember when i then a lot later went back to work three days a week people were very interested i didn't raise the subject with them But I if people do ask me the questions, I will answer as as candidly as I can in the hope that if they're feeling some of those things that I felt, they will recognise they are not the only ones ever to have felt those things because that is one of the key things I carry away from it. Nobody has been as inadequate as me. I'm useless to everyone. And, you know, you do that very well. No one can ever have felt as useless as me. So, one of the reasons I want to talk candidly is that, you know, I do think that a lot of people, not a lot of people, but people do have those thoughts. And I what, think. What was
0: it like in those that point where you, you said you were setting off on a journey, on the journey to work was it uh, yeah. were you getting a car were you getting a train
1: how, how are you getting there? um i'd got a train i mean the you can imagine i was still not greatly mobile yeah so i was on the train and then you know and what's going it, through your head what had happened was that over the course of let's say three or four days i'd got to a point where i just thought Oh, I'm so tired, you know. Right. And then it's, why am I tired? Well, you're tired because you're useless. Right. You know, so, well, where does this go? You know, kind of, I suppose, on the journey into work that day, I was asked to do something which I hadn't done because I was too tired to do it. I thought, I'll blag it. And I just went, I remember going to the door and think, I can't bluff this because I haven't actually got the energy to yeah. bluff this i don't want to disparage the professionalism that i feel is in the, the in the uh, media buying side of things but sometimes you can black your way mm-hmm. through a meeting and they thought all right get myself together and i'll make sure i'm on top form the follow-up you know the follow-up meeting but i just thought i haven't got the energy to do this and then i went outside and He all right I'm just so tired, I'm just so tired. And it goes it, uh, it escalated from the feeling of inadequacy at that point of going into it. You know what? I can't go on like this. I just want to go to sleep forever. And then, you know. But that grows for that, that went from that whole thing of inadequacy yeah. over, well, let's say, I don't know, four or five days. It's impossible for me to Where did
0: you go? So you, you Where did I go? Yeah. And, and what were you thinking
1: each step of the way, really? Because you must have slept somewhere. So so um, as you were going to sleep, did you...? Uh, you know, frankly, I went up and down Tottenham Court Road looking for a lorry or a bus to throw myself under. Right. And I decided that there was so much traffic in Tottenham Court Road that that wasn't the way because, I say, the idea is not... My purpose was not to self harm my purpose was really to put an end to this whole heaviness that was, in which I was shrouded. I then went to Vauxhall Station and stood on the station fully with to throw myself in front of a train but then i don 't know if you 've ever been to and I am smiling it 's not funny. Uh, to Vauxhall Junction but all I could see were these trains coming in and I couldn't wor- work out whether they were coming into my platform they're in another platform right. and I was sh- I stood there for about an hour I thought I can't work this one out either so I then got on a train to Surbiton, and Surbiton exactly the same thing I thought well sod this, you know this is not going the way I intended to And I went for a drink in a pub right near Surbiton Station. And you've known me for a number of years, Bruce. It has to be said that I I do quite like a drop of strong lager now and again or a glass of red wine. And I sat and nursed a pint, I remember, for two hours. Right. Uh, I thought, well, you know, you don't want to do this, do you? And I went to Liverpool. and
0: And at this stage are your family trying to get in touch with you well
1: they didn't know that you know obviously that first day yeah could have been at work you know I was at work and then um, you know I think the first you know the first night I spent in Liverpool yep Christina rang round uh, all me work stroke social buddies to see if anybody had seen me because you know I didn't have it not every day, but there, were, there was a slight history of having long lunches now yeah. and again. Was your phone off at this stage? Oh, the the uh, the, the phone was switched off. Right, right. And, You know.
0: Because you'd bit, had that triggering moment of the message on the way in.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right, so, okay. So, I, uh, you know, I remember going to Houston Station and... You know, obviously buying a short-term ticket to Liverpool, I think it was £165 one way, and I think that probably was the biggest shock of me day (laughs) to, you know, be charged. Uh, uh, You know, I went to Liverpool. I didn't know what to do in Liverpool, if I'm honest. Again, you know, thought about going to one of my favourite places... And thrown myself in the Mersey, but it was only a thought at that stage. And, you know, I passed the night there in the days, hadn't contacted anyone. Did you get a hotel or did,
0: what did you do? Yeah, called a hotel.
1: You? And that's ultimately how Christina traced right, me. Credit um, card you know, credit cards right. and stuff. You know, particularly on the second day when, you know, I hadn't reappeared and nobody had seen us but eventually. A very uh, understanding constable came and knocked on the door because I'd actually spent the day thinking, right, you know, so nothing happened yesterday, what's going to happen today? And very similar to my experience in the service and pub, I sat in a bar in in a hotel. I had by that stage decided to change hotels. Don't ask me why. I thought that might throw people off me sense if they were looking for me. And I remember sitting at that bar for three hours and, again, nursing one pint and thinking, well, this is useless. And then all these kind of, I don't know what day it was, there was all these people from out of town and all that kind of stuff there, and, and I just went back to me. Room, again, by that stage, I was completely exhausted. So he thought, what was I thinking? Very hard for me to describe in detail, except I was in a very, very heavy, tired fog. And I just lay on my bed and basically did nothing. As I say, I think towards, I don't know, in the early evening, the police found us And then uh, I was taken to a hospital in Liverpool whereby, uh, you know, these things take forever. Uh, My wife and uh, Jim Cavanaugh had arrived and um, going through all that kind of psychiatric thing to assess my state of mind. Mm. I think by that stage, there was no state of mind. I was in, you know, the way now on reflection I would... uh, Describe it. It was like having the worst kind of flu that you've ever had. I don't know if you've ever had proper flu, mm. but you know your bones are tired. You're tired. The way I and you know when I have a uh, low moments, one of the key sign uh, uh, symptoms to me is that tiredness is mm. there. And I would call it tiredness of the eyeballs. Mm. It's when your eyeballs are tired. You know, that's when I know I've got to, I, you know, I'm in a low period and I, I need to take some uh, steps to uh, make sure it doesn't get any worse.
0: And what's happened since? So how are you feeling now?
1: Me, you know, I'm, I hope you can see that I'm very open about it. You know, I think I'm very lucky on a a number of levels. One, to have come through there. Uh, The support of my family has been amazing. You know, I, I really found out some fantastic, some fantastic friends. And the thing with this is you can't control those thoughts coming back. I mean I the priory, you know, you spend time I spent a total of eight weeks not in there all the time, you know, going through various sessions and stuff. And the you get taken into different sessions and I think part of parcel of that is so that you find the thing that hmm. works for you. And there are certain parts of CBT that work for me with the experience and you know, I did have sat down and thought about it not like to throw myself into gloom but to try and understand how i can manage this you know one of the things about cbt is manage what you can manage you know save hmm. yourself a list all this type of stuff and then you know work your way through that list you can't manage what you can't control and one of the things i find i can't control is The arrival of those dark moments, but you know there there are certain common characteristics to the arrival of those, which will be the tiredness, Mm. the tiredness and the withdrawal. Now you think that you'd see that straight away, but you know, no matter how often it happens to me, it's probably several days in before I think, oh, I, you know, I'm having a moment here. And then, because you know that withdrawal into yourself is very unconscious. For me, it is that tiredness is there, but also almost concurrent with that will be a disinclination to do those things I know bring me enjoyment. Right. So, no interest in doing any exercise. What way? Shout there. I love music. Don't listen to any music. And you know, I shut down my my reading as well. Now they're probably the three most obvious characteristics for me that I need and, to do. And be a couple of things. Else. Do
0: you recognise that you'd had any episodes like that before? No. And have you found any way then, when you recognise those things now, to get out of that?
1: Yeah, well, I was going to say see, the CB. Uh, I don't recall ever having ever uh, had those. Things before, but what I'd had, I think, was certain signs of I was prone to anxiety in right. extreme cases. And obviously, it went into a very extreme level there. What I do now is I do recognize now when it's happening, and my family are fantastic. I think they see it within a day. Yeah. It takes me a couple of days. Yeah. You're all right. You're not. You don't seem happy or whatever. And I know what to do now. You can't ever tell yourself to rid yourself of those thoughts. Mm. That is impossible. Uh, yeah. For me, what I do now is because that that tiredness is all consuming. As I say, getting me eyeballs. I actually now rest for a day. Mm. I do rest for a day because I genuinely feel tired, even though that might have a mental cause for it. And so my wife, my family recognised that. I said, today, I'm not doing anything today. I'm just giving in, not giving in. I'm just resting because I need to rest. I feel so tired. And then, you know, I then see how I am on day two. But normally on day two, I will then say, I have playlists now for various parts of my mental condition. I'm gonna listen to three or four happy songs. Mm. I'm going to read, but I'm only gonna read five pages. Or I might go and, you know, down the gym and sit on the indoor bike for half an hour. Mm. But, you know, nothing that is drastic but a gradual and gentle reintroduction to those things give me pleasure mm. now I'm not saying that that is a uh, remedy for everyone but it certainly it really helps mm. you know if you kind of applying this to pass on to other people obviously the biggest thing is to talk about it but well, I would um, the thing I found is that we went through a whole kind of investigation and talked to several times to my wife about, oh, we should have recognised, we should have recognised. Well, the knowledge that came with hindsight and having lived through that experience was really tremendously educational for all of us. So it was learnings there. They see the times when I'm really tired and out of sorts, and I can see, you know, uh, certain things within myself when I'm out of sorts. So I am able to manage it going forward. I think that it's important to be realistic. Certain people within, when I was being treated, said, oh, you know, rid the thoughts and so on. If that's suggested remedy, you're not really understanding yeah. how it gets in there, and then it grows to a point where you start doing extreme things. Don't you think, if I could say tomorrow, I don't want to ever think like that again, that would be top of my Christmas mm. wish list? Yeah, But, you know, it just doesn't work like that. But I think, and I don't want to sound complacent, it doesn't happen every week, does you not know, it? And it will be there where... It will be, you know, certain things will set me off. You're not half as good as you used to be. You're mm. not achieving half as good as you used to, as much as you used to. And then, you know, over the course of two days, it goes from that to being, well, I don't know why you're doing your exercises anymore because look at the state of it. you know, and it's really important to recognise how quickly that can escalate. Mm.
0: And, and you know quite often people now sort of advise people to talk about it is, is that something that
1: would have helped you? you know I think reason why I'm talking about it now so that I said earlier on in the is that by me talking the way I have maybe some people who feel themselves to be isolated yeah. will recognise something. you know talking definitely helps I find a cathartic you know I had no problem when I first went back to work and people asked me about it I just told them there is no doubt it does help I mean you know I'm not medically qualified but I would say that is a major step towards help but I didn't know at the time that I needed help from Mm. people I just thought I was very tired and I was out of sorts. So I think it's very easy to say that because that's what people generally say. You need to understand, first of all, that those feelings of inadequacy aren't unique, but they aren't normal from the point of view they're a true reflection mm. of your capabilities. So I, I, I would say that, yes, you know, talking to people does help, but I'm like this now because I've had experience yeah. of the downside of withdrawing into myself and not seeking the help. You know, I don't want anyone to feel the anguish that I felt, you know, and I can say to myself, no, well, that's ridiculous. Depth to which you pushed your own, in your eyes, inadequacy. And it it is not, right, when I'm in the cold light of day. Ridiculous, I would almost say. But when you're there, it's not ridiculous. And you feel very lonely, very isolated. Mm. So, yes, you know, talking does help, but I would have to say you have to first recognise that, you know, those kind of feelings of like inadequacy or self-loathing or isolation, you're not the only person to have ever felt them. But also, it isn't something that is part of the normal passage of life. Yeah.
0: And you have you mentioned isolation and loneliness a couple of times. And as, as we were walking up here, you talked a lot about what seemed to be a very active social life sort of exercising social life did you actually have a social life then or were you feeling more lonely were your friendships well, more
1: well I, I, see he's coming on the back I mean and I think anybody who knows me know knows I love me mates I love going out to lunch I love watching Everton I love all that I love exercise uh, but Very difficult for me because it's important to say how much I think that that physical incapacity had on me in as much that, you know, I did a whole round of TV negotiations from this front Mm. room here. And actually, you know, looking back on it, you know, everyone was brilliant. The TV contractors came down... You know, they came in, they literally came in. They came to the front room, they were fantastic. I was in a bed there, and the deal was, you know, like an hour, two hours. Great guy, John Ever. He worked with us at Zenith, but he came down. We did the deals together from the front room, and uh, everybody, all the TV owners came down, several of the radio people came down, and the uh, the newspaper keeper came down. You know, it was wonderful. We'd negotiate, and then the deal was crackers and red wine at the end of that session, and they all came in. They And, yeah, I think to a certain extent, that gave me a false sense of security right. because I was like, oh, this is not too bad. And then I think what happened then, after the negotiations, you know, if you did them yourself, you know, there is a lull after the negotiations, mm. And I think maybe I had to spend time by myself Mm. because I I was learning to walk again. I didn't realise kind of how isolated I'd become because I'm not going out and running. I'm not going out in there cycling. My mates were fantastic. The biggest obstacle for me physically at that stage was getting down the steps in front of the house. That was the biggest mm. thing. I was trapped in the house, essentially because I couldn't get down any steps. And once I'd mastered then, you know, they got taxis to take me to the best local pub here, Red Lion. And, you know, they took it in terms to take me out yeah. there, as did the uh, media owners and getting out. But, you know, uh, that was like, I don't know, once a once-a-week treat, treat because the practicalities of that were... There was still quite a huge physical challenge and, you know, I had me accident in uh, November and I was still probably not properly operational in April when I tried to go back to right. work, you know, and that was the big learning And point. when was the, the couple of days that you went missing? When was that...? Yeah, uh, that was in May. May, May. Yeah. Okay. Mm, can't remember now whether it was the, I think it was the second May bank holiday. Right. You know, so you had Monday and Tuesday, and, you know, uh, so Monday and Tuesday? I think the Tuesday. Yeah. Ah, oh, I can't do this. So. And
0: has anyone spoken to you since saying that they recognise in you
1: something that they've been thinking about themselves? Or I've been very intrigued, Bruce. You know, obviously I talked over about the fact that I'd had obviously a mental episode. Not like forcing it down people was next, but I'd been hugely intrigued by, you know, with those first lunches or those first get-togethers or those meetings once I'd come back after my breakdown. I could tell that the conversation wasn't just about concern for me. I think people were checking out Themselves against my experience, mm. and I think it's unlikely that anyone would ever say to me, you know. And I'm still, you can see, very open about it. Oh, I'm feeling like that. I'm glad you talked to me about that. Mm. I don't. I, it doesn't work like that. It might do in some ideal world, but i feel very sure that in certain cases, uh, it has resonated either with themselves because they're feeling that or they see certain of uh, my behaviours in other people that are close to them. Um, You know, and that went on for several months, actually, and I, you know, uh, was very happy, happy is the wrong word, but I was very cool about talking about it because, as I say, I want to help people who may be going through Mm. that type of stuff just by talking candidly, hoping that if there is any anxiety on their part, they recognise something in what I've said mm. in themselves. And that you know, that is my rationale for doing this yeah. type of stuff. There but there's no doubt when you've met up with someone for the first time, you know, let's say five or six months, and then they spend all the time, saying, how did you feel about this? now did you feel about that? You do know during that conversation, they're either talking really about themselves or they're talking about somebody Mm, that's close to them. Yeah. So what would you
0: tell them specifically, like to get in touch with a specific organisation or just chat to their friends?
1: Lots of organisations will relate you to, refer you to an organisation or whatever. I was very lucky and, you know, I go back to the fact that really... I had a very empathetic locum who saw me that day when my wife came with me and I said nothing. Now, I know it's really difficult in terms of COVID and all that kind of stuff, but you must go and speak properly to your doctor. I mean, you know, I don't know people's circumstances, but if there is somebody close to them, you know, and they do recognise something in what I've said, Speak to those people close to them. Have you noticed? You know, have I been withdrawing? You know, have I gone quieter? Is that kind of in comparison to before, or is this is it this become worse? And you know, if people say, "Well, actually, you have been more withdrawn than normal," you know, that's that 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 to me is the warning sign Mm. that people should be acting on. Now, in terms of organisations, the this, the that, and the other. You know, that's what doctors are there for. I, mean, I know COVID's there, but you've got to go and speak mm. to your doctor. And the other thing is, start, if he ever says, like, oh, here you are, sleeping tablets and all that kind of stuff, go and see another doctor. I mean, I'm very fortunate, I mean, you know, I had the means to be referred to someone mm. and all that kind of stuff. But I think the people around you've got to help you find that, medical experts or whatever it is... Cos you, you've got to have, in my view, some medical treatments. You know, talking to people is certainly a massive release. I'm feeling low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to rest today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't know anything about CBT. What sort know. of
0: stuff do they get you to do on... on t- make less, so,
1: you know, it's little stuff... How long? What do you like to do? How long is it since you've uh, rung up a mate and had a chat to do? And so it starts off with, as I've highlighted there to get me out. What I want you to do is those people you haven't spoken to for a while, and you said are your friends. We want you to pick up the phone next week uh, before the next session and phone them and speak to them, and then there—that's no, what you do. So how long is it since you read a book? Oh, I've been too tired to read a book. So what do you like reading? Right, so uh, I want you to read a magazine article next week. It's very, very, very simple steps. Right. But it's stuff that you can manage. Right. Right, I'm going out for a 10-minute walk. You know, you can manage that. I'm going to sit down and, you know, watch a TV programme with my wife. You can manage that. It's not like it doesn't work on the premise of And
0: like, how does it work? So so by
1: getting you into the patterns of doing these things. Of doing things that you like doing. Yeah. That you connect with. It works like you well for me it was like make you a list of whatever. It doesn't matter what the list is, whether it's six or ten. But the si- the six very simple, almost everyday things. Mm that by inspecting what they are on that list, you know you've redrawn from doing them. Right. You know, and I found that that works for me. You know, what didn't work for me was this notion, oh, don't think gloomy thoughts. Great, you know, I actually, to be honest, I have to be kind, that is nonsense. It's not how it works. If you could do that, you'd just say, right, I'm making a New mm. Year's resolution, no more gloomy mm. thoughts and we'd all do yeah. that, and we wouldn't allow it to enter in because it's too much, too much pain comes with it. But that, that that's what I found very, very, very uh, useful. And it's simple things. It's not about sitting down and analysing your emotion over this and that and the other. It's the recognition that you are in a gloomy Periods, you know, the dark cloud or whatever you care to call it. And then there are certain things that you can do to ease your withdrawal from that cloud and your uh, re-engagement with normal society. Mm. Uh, You know, and I'm not saying that what worked for me will work for other people, but, you know, I think by speaking the way that I have, I think that, you know, I'd hope people recognise if they are feeling like that, some of those symptoms, they do speak to those close to them and they elicit their help in engaging with the right kind of medical treatment. Mm. It isn't sleeping tablets. It isn't anything like that. If they don't show any real interest, get another doctor. That's what I would say. That, type of thing and I please don't think I'm slagging the medical profession but that is get you out the room now and not actually uh, taking charge of Mm. you as a problem you need somebody by you to be forceful on your behalf particularly in this COVID period you know one of the reasons why I'm really pleased that you know when we have hooked up my concern would be that those people are in you know, I'm in a fortunate circumstance. I've got a very supportive family, but those people who may have lost a job, may be in a very cramped accommodation, who haven't got the facility to go out, release is sitting there, and some of these things are stewing. Um,
0: well, you and, mentioned isolation. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. you're fortunate that you're you've got friends and you're yeah. surrounded with people. You can empathise with people who don't have that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I've talked. Actually, not to bring the focus back to me about that. There is a lockdown syndrome Mm. whereby, you know, particularly when they released it into the pubs, where you just go to the pub to see your mates. Mm. You know, it's not about having a drink. It's like, and it's great to see your mates. Mm. You don't realise the lift that that gives you. That is really, really important. And I, I would have, a, as I say, this concern, particularly between the, the, the extreme lockdown, um, you know, tier three lockdown, I would have a genuine concern that those people who are vulnerable to those mental conditions are being neglected mm. in this current situation. I'm not saying at all that COVID isn't serious, but I do think it's easy to overlook that. And you know, you know I mean, I don't know what the suicide rate is in under thirties across the sexes, but I know it's a particular uh, it's a particular problem in the under thirty men. Mm. Back
0: with my discussion with Chris Hayward after this. Now back to my discussion about depression and the issues it creates, my discussion with Chris Hayward. How are you feeling now?
1: Me? Uh, you've touched on, um, you know, the talking part of it, and i would be very frank with you, I find this uh, a very, very cathartic experience. Yeah. Very cathartic experience. You know, I'm in that stage Really, you know. But you like that before,
0: though, Chris? You don't. You don't strike me
1: as someone who
0: would have readily talked about his emotions or how he's No chance. Before.
1: No chance. You know. Uh, so
0: this has unlocked something in you. Being candid about it, it's actually been helpful.
1: Well, I think it's something you know, and advertising has changed. But I, you know, I came from a generation of TV buyers and all that, and they were all hard. His nails, characters, mm. you know, you worked hard, you played hard, you exercised hard. I mean, you know, I don't know that uh, I didn't have a more uh, emotional side, but I think very much it was to the confines of this house. Mm. Didn't go much beyond that. Yeah. And to a few very, 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 very close mates, Um but, you know, the, where am I now? As I say, cathartic experience. You know, I look out in my garden and think, well, oh, pretty lucky. You know, wonder, wonderful, uh, supportive family. You know, whilst I now and again moan the state of my knees, I can go out and cycle. I've got mates to go out and cycle with me, lend me support. And, you know, I think, all in all, the accident happened. There's nothing I can do about that. Uh, my mental condition is part of me, as much as you know my rect knees. Nothing I can do about that. But I can, you know, like with um, with me knees, I do lots of exercises based around balance knee strength that's my ball you know and that's what I can do to maintain some kind of mobility to you know later years and with uh, you know my melting condition it's you know the first part is an acknowledgement of it Mm. it's there it won't go away the things that happened have happened there's no point me so wish it didn't happen it's then learning to you know say well if I start feeling like that again, what is it about that I can do about it? How can I manage it? You know, uh, this is the help of my family and friends and so I Actually, you know, not feeling on top of the world today and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't really have that much, I have nothing to complain about. Uh, you know, I've had a great career, I've got a Fantastic family. Everton are doing better, you know. Um, you know, compared to a lot of people in the current circumstance, I consider myself to be ve- uh, very fortunate. Now, that's me, you know, on a good day, you know, and it's been a while since seeing you, mm. Bruce. You and I had a lot of uh, good uh, repartee, I mm. would say, mm. and meetings, and it's great to see... You, uh, there will be without doubt sometime, I don't know when it'll be, when that little, uh, oh, you weren't very good today, Chris, you didn't cycle very well, and then it escalates over two or three days period. But I know how to recognise that. I think I know how to deal with it. And um, that's just part of my life.
0: Mm. Mm. I think recognising it is probably such an important gift for you now, isn't it? It is,
1: yeah. I consider myself very lucky to have survived that experience, you know, the real low points, and then know that it will return. But I've been, always I would say it's training, to be honest, thanks to CBT, to put some coping mechanisms in it. I would just say, you know, as I say, Within this, it's not about having philosophical debates about it. It's the recognition. It's the illicit of support. It's action. CBT works for me. And, you know, by the way, I've described the things that I uh, put into practice. It's not hard. It's really simple stuff. And it's all designed to make you re-engage mm. and come out of that self-imposed and maybe unconscious isolation. Yes, I mean,
0: look, fascinating for me, I was, as you're sort of talking, I was just thinking, you know, whether the world is evolving, that people are more willing to talk about these things than they were previously. And
1: Well, I, I, it, it's difficult because you get all this kind of almost genderisation. Um, you know, I think it's kind of dangerous. Women talk openly about their feelings and all that kind of stuff. You know, I've had a very, I would would say, deep and meaningful conversation uh, with you. But then, you know, I have loads of mates where it is built on talking about football Mm. and, you know, exercise. Or have you heard any new bands? You know, and I knew this conversation was coming up and I think, but would I want to change that? Well, I don't know. I mean, mm. I don't know that I would, but what I would say, that's in general, but I do know that there are still some mates I could talk yeah. to in, you know, real low periods. Just does make me anxious that, let's say, with my male mates, 90% of our conversation is mates chat. And if somebody was analysing it and eavesdropping, it'd be rubbish. It'd mm. be talk about... That doesn't bother me. You know, I don't set out with the agenda to talk seriously to mates. Yeah. But, you know, the good mates know you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we were talking about one uh, just before this started. He is brilliant at spotting when you're not on top for right. to him. And you know I've got all the mates like that, so I don't you don't. So it
0: doesn't have to be like this heavy thing that all you're doing now is sitting down, spending half an hour talking about how you're feeling. But more, you know, having an awareness that there's time when an you want having
1: awareness. You know, like if you say you've got ten really close mates, there'll be three of them who kind of just get you and can see you low. That you know they they don't spend time trying to. make the over-seven serious.
0: I think to some extent, you know, the the way you've described this, your family and your friends have been a real gift here because what you hear is that a lot of men, especially when they go over the age of 40, they stop having any of their own friends. And so, you know, you're fortunate because your recovery has been helped by the fact you've got these good friendships that you can draw upon, you have friends that you exercise with and you've got a family and I think
1: probably... Actually the story of this is how fortunate you were to have those things I Oh, that friend thing is really difficult what's mates what's friends what close friends what best mates I mean, It's really difficult mm. what I, my, my friends uh, during the whole period of the accident and then you know obviously my breakdown <laughs> they they've all been they've all been fantastic no one's turned their back on me I mean, that's the last thing. Mm. You know, that's the last thing that happened. You know, me Everton mates have been brilliant. God, you know, I go skiing with uh, with a group of mates who, my God, you know, when I was on my back, some of them came round to get, guide me down the steps. And then we had lunches and dinners round at the Red Line where they all turned up, right, 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 And, I mean, they, they just... Blew me apart. Um, he said, oh, you come ski with us. I can't ski anymore. Oh, you come and ski with us. And they chose a hotel where... Uh, you can't ski anymore now. Oh, but, I, well... I, no, again. I can. I can. Yeah, that's what I said to them first. I said, I came out and I went out. And i have been doing all my exercise, yeah. leg strengthening exercise and all that kind of stuff. And when we got to the resort... Uh, as I say, the hotel we were gyms and stuff and the idea was I was going to meet them for lunch and they'd choose all these restaurants near the ski lift. Anyway, the first day they said, well, actually, we've had a change of plan. You're coming with us. I said, oh, you know, no, 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 boys, you know, it's too much, you know. We have operated a system where uh, the nervous skiers we call them rear gunners, by people stand on the back of the skis. They said, you, you're going to have a front gunner as well. And for two days, these, uh, these mates, they, I was literally skiing about two miles an hour. So yeah. I couldn't find out. They were on the front of my skis, on the back of my skis. And uh, the end of the first day, You know, I spiked it all day, going two mile an hour. But in my own head, I was scared with my mates. I just burst out crying because, one, fantastic thing for them to do for me. I mean, I know with hindsight, probably stupid and a bit dangerous, but, (laughs) you know, if I'd have fallen over, I'd have fallen on them. I was only doing about two mile an hour, like physiotherapist was fantastic after my operation he was the person who really helped me and he said what do you want to do and I said well you know if I can get to jog an old man's jog and if I can ski then that would be something and you know he was a fantastic he was into positive encouragement and a, at that stage, he, he raised his eyebrows and said, you know, you've had a really serious injury, but nothing's impossible, so we'll see what we can do. And when I went skiing and came back, and said, well, actually, Jim, uh I've been skiing. He went, well, well done. And uh, <laughs> I've probably been about, I don't know, half a dozen times since, uh, which if anybody had seen the level of incapacity to get, I'd still astound me quite honestly. I can't do anything fast, but I go basically on the widest red runs in the world. You're doing red though. I do red runs in the world and then just ski down. In, anything which requires massive turning is out. But right. In my own head, I'm back skiing with oh, my mates. i good. You know, I'm, you know, I'm pretty lucky and very happy yeah. of that. Thank you
0: so much to Chris Haywood for sharing that with us. Like I say, if you are interested in finding more about these themes, please do go to the show notes. There's a whole load of details that I think anyone can tap into to try and put themselves in a better place. The most important thing to know is that this is a theme of issues that afflicts a whole load of people. You're not alone in feeling like this. If you did find some benefit, do share it with a friend. You know, passing these things on. Chris's whole objective, really... Was to get this message in front of as many people as possible. Grateful for your time today. I've been Bruce Daisley. See you next time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans.